This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition. Using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. This week, we meet the boss of Majestic Wine, a retail titan, John Colley, who it's fair to say has given Majestic its mojo back. We'll talk about pandemic trading, Christmas, that strange pairing with naked wines, and what makes the staff so special. Plus, your regular recommendations for medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Ask anyone to name a dedicated wine store in the UK and the chances are the answer will be majestic. For many, it is the place to stock up for special occasions like a wedding, summer party or Christmas. But for others, myself included, it runs a lot deeper than that. My early enthusiasm for wine was in so many ways sparked by trips to my local branch, uh, like so many in a former garage in Shepherd's Bush in West London. You could sample, uh, you could talk to those who shared your passion for wine, and you knew that if you didn't like a wine, you could bring it back. Uh, not that I ever did, to my knowledge. We're talking about the 1990s here for me, and it's where I discovered Cloudy Bay Sauvignon Blanc. The manager kept some by for me because I was by then a reasonably regular customer. And those special parcels of wine, often from Bordeaux, sometimes labelled on the back in Swedish, as they were surplus stock from the government monopoly market, they were often a real bargain, not something you, you can generally say about wine in the UK, thanks to the tax regime here. Majestic is a powerhouse and in some respects a great survivor from another era, but it had a turbulent time a few years ago in its rather strange marriage with Naked Wines. They went their separate ways, some said that was for the best, and John Colley, uh, who's the man who led it back to its mojo, uh, he's CEO of Majestic Wine, and I'm delighted to say he's found the time to join us now. Uh, John, hello, thank you for joining The Drinking Hour. Good morning. Really, really nice to be here. Well, it's very nice to, to have you too uh, at what must be your uh, busiest time of the year. Uh, before we talk about uh, Majestic, a bit about you first. How did you get to do this job? Good question. Um, well, it's the second time in the job. Um, I first uh, joined Majestic in 2050 after a, a stint abroad. I was working in Holland and it was a company that I admired from the sidelines. When I came back to the UK, I was actually uh, looking, for a, looking for a job. And um, I didn't realize at that point the marriage of naked had taken place or was taking place. And through some contacts, um, I was asked if I would like to uh, be the MD of the retail part of the business back then. Um, Rome was kind of the naked CEO and then the group CEO. And, you know, the retail experience uh, was a bit lacking on their side. So they asked me to come and, and join the retail side of things, which was amazing. You know, I remember my first shop in a Majestic. You recall, your, you, you recall yours in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, mine was in Bushy, again, which was an old garage. 
Um, I used to sneak in using my dad's account number and thinking I was getting away with something. So I just loved the company and I was very fortunate to come back in 2015 and, and then obviously more recently when the company was sold. So you came uh, into the job, then you went away again and then you came back? That's it. I left. I joined in 2015 and I left in 2017. I think it was clear for me in, in 2017, you know, the direction uh, under kind of the marriage of Naked just kind of wasn't what I was, you know, wanting to do with the business. Um, and, you know, I decided to go and do something else for a little while. I went back to Kingfisher, which is where I started my retail career. Um, I was on the board of Screwfix and B&Q and some of those well-known home improvement brands. And I went back uh, to that company sitting on the board. So, you know, to get asked to come back post uh, the acquisition by Fortress Investment Group um, was a real pleasure. You have retail in your bones, uh, but uh, you also, too, by the sounds of it, from your early experiences in Bushy, you have wine in your veins as well. I think that's probably down to my father, actually, more than anything. (laughs) But, you know, who doesn't like wine? I mean, it's kind of part of our, you know, routines that we've got in our lives, whether we, you know, get married and, and... have a great party so i think it's you know, i wouldn't say i'm a wine expert but you know i love drinking a really nice bottle of wine i love discovering new new wines especially those with really interesting stories um you know i'm not a fan kind of some of the mass-produced supermarket uh, products i mean i'm not saying it it doesn't taste nice but i just really like those unique stories of the products that we're able to source I mean, you talked about the parcel that um, was bought from Sweden, which everyone raves about and talks about. But you know, we've got fabulous parcels across uh, being bought by the buying team here for the company. Um, and I really want us to kind of get into those unique products that um, delight customers when they come in. They hear a story from one of our qualified uh, colleagues and, you know, they go, wow, that sounds really interesting. And they'll take it away. So, you know, I really love that part of what we do. You say you're not a wine expert, uh, and that's probably you being modest, uh, but you employ plenty of them anyway, uh, right across the, yeah. uh, the business. Uh, what's more important, do you think, for you as CEO? I, I assume it's, it's the, you know, knowing how to run a, a, a retail business, the nuts and bolts of retail, rather than having, you know, an abundance of, of, of specialist knowledge about the product. Yeah, and it's a really interesting. When I first joined the company in 2015, I was the first outsider who'd actually join the board everybody else that was worked or on the board I mean Steve Lewis was the former uh, kind of uh, steward of Majestic and you know everybody started in the stores you know we've still got some members of the board now that started in the stores as van drivers or assistants and I was the only one that wasn't WeSet qualified hadn't worked in the company before and I just constantly kept getting asked by colleagues you know how did you get this job you don't know anything about wine and I said well I don't need to really know anything about wine that's what you guys do what I need to do is know how to run the business and there's aspects of what Majestic does with its customer data. We, you know, we've got over 4 million uh, records of customers that have been shopping with us from over, for over the last 40 years. And um, we've got physical shops. We've obviously, you know, got a home delivery and omni-channel capability now. You know, my background is that um, expertise, whether that was in Argos or Screwfix or, or, or at B&Q. You know, having that knowledge and being able to apply it to business as special as Majestic with a product as fantastic as wine has just been brilliant, you know, and that's why I love my job so much. It's quite a, you know, a glamorous uh, role, I suppose, compared to the uh, literally sort of more nuts and bolts uh, kind of <laughs> roles that you've done previously, I guess. 
Well, I think whatever you do, you've got to have a passion for it. You know? And I just have a passion for working in great companies. You know, Screwfix, you know, I spent five years. It's a great organization. Very small when I first joined that business, 120 million. It's now doing two and a half billion. I mean, it's massive. But the customers love that company and they have a real passion for the brand. And I think in Majestic, you know, everybody you meet that has either worked in our stores or in the industry, you know, just they love the business. I think they were very you know, sad at the possibility that it could have actually left left uh, the high street under the kind of that naked marriage. Um, and when we managed to kind of get hold of the business and kind of revitalize it, you know, the amount of, uh, of uh, letters and, and communication I got from customers saying how, how pleased they were was amazing. So I, I like working in businesses that are just loved, you know, and our brand awareness is very high. Our coverage in the UK is very big. Um, and it's just, it's a delight to work in a company that's like that. I don't think there's many companies like Majestic around, which is why I kind of wanted to work in it in the first the first time. Um, and when I came back, clearly it was a bit battered and bruised after the after the kind of the, the naked marriage. But you know the fundamentals of the business were still there, and the passion for our, with with our colleagues was still there. You know, and I'm I'm very proud to be able to run it. Um, and it just happens to be in retail. It just happens to sell a product that, you know, is wine, which is also fantastic. I mean, I was talking to somebody um, in retail last week and I said, I've just got the best job. I've just got the best job out there. You know, I work in retail and I work with a great product, with great people, with a brand that's really loved. And not taking any away from the screw fix, the, you know, nuts and bolts, not quite as interesting. You can't enjoy those on a Friday night. No, true. But they do have a similarly engaged workforce in the stores you can kind of um you can feel the enthusiasm from those whether they're passing you over a hammer drill that you've pre-ordered or whether you're in majestic and you're picking up a case of wine you've pre-ordered you you have a similar kind of vibe amongst uh, the teams i think but um as you say it, it is um uh, an amazing brand. I've forgotten uh, precisely, uh, if I ever knew, how many stores you have and what your sort of market impact is, but you can no doubt tell me that quickly. Yeah, I mean, we've, we're sitting at 201 stores. We've opened five in the last uh, 18 months. So even under lockdown, we decided strategically we're going to open more stores. There's about 20 locations in the UK where we don't have stores and we think that it would just be great to have a majestic uh, branch there. So we've opened, you know, Henley on Thames, for example. So the, the, the lovely people of Henley have now got a fabulous new store in, in the Waitrose car park. Um, and it's doing incredibly well. We've opened one in Beaconsfield, another, you know, prime location which is doing really, really well, uh, one in Nutsford, um, and we've got a few more slated. So, we're, you know, we're planning to open four or five stores over the course of the next four years. And they're really important for our, you know, our strategy um, because we recruit hundreds of thousands of new customers through our stores every year. We don't have a very high cost of customer acquisition. They just come into the stores, which is great. And also the stores are our delivery hubs for, for customers. You know, we deliver um, to the on-trade as well. Um, and you know, for people's parties, so the ability for us to home deliver from our stores is a is a huge strength. And actually, during the pandemic, you know, in 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 twenty, when it was really quite quite worrying, um, they did an amazing job in keeping keeping the people of Britain fueled up with uh, with wine at home. They did indeed. Uh, I never understood when the union of naked wines and online model uh, with a completely different kind of um, ethos, uh, a different way of selling wine, paired up with Majestic Wine, well-known brand, as we've discussed, that's much loved. Um, what on earth was that all about? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that when you look back at what Majestic was, and the reason I wanted to work in Majestic, and I, I actually didn't know about the marriage to Naked, 
but the omni-channel experience or the digital experience that you, you you got with Majestic actually wasn't that great. You know, we weren't we were only delivering from the stores pretty much. If you went onto the website, it was a plethora of products, and there was no real organisation to it, and it was a bit hit and miss of whether you would actually get something because everything was delivered pretty much by the stores. Um, so if you lived in Penzance, for example, you wouldn't be shopping from a shop. You you know you wouldn't be able to access the brand. So I think that um, it kind of hit a, hit a ceiling from a, a a digital perspective, and I think the business was then struggling a little bit. If you if you think back to when that was in 2014-15, you know everybody was really on the kind of the digital bandwagon. Must have a website. Must home deliver. All those kind of things. And our proposition just wasn't sharp enough. And actually, what what I saw was an opportunity as an outsider going, do you know what, we can really fix this, you know, reasonably quickly. I think that the PLC board of Majestic also thought the same thing. And, you know, Naked was the, you know, were the fastest growing wine businesses online, uh, direct to consumer. Um, and I think that's why they felt the marriage was would work uh, by merging, you know, the, the knowledge of how Naked set themselves up digitally and you know majestic kind of requiring some of that knowledge unfortunately that meant some aspects of how naked operate were kind of put into majestic and they just didn't hit the mark and you know some of our very loyal customers switched off and you know weren't interested in some of the things we were doing you know changing product ranges you know changing the branding on the stores to the kind of the i call it the kind of naked pink but you know naked's got quite a vibrant blue color and we can't change some of our branding to pink you know some of the some of the tone of voice in our publications and some of our direct mail was changed and i think that just switched off some of our very loyal customers so i can understand why it was done um but clearly it didn't work you know naked customers are very loyal to the naked brand majestic customers are very loyal to the majestic brand um i I just think the the, the leveraging of both knowledge sets wasn't absolutely optimized. Um, and I could kind of see that, which is, you know, why I kind of went off and did some other things. Yeah. I mean, there was a point, if I'm not mistaken, where there was a trial where one of the stores was rebranded as Naked. They took away that majestic brand that is so much, uh, uh, such a totem, if you like, so, so familiar to uh, to British wine consumers, but they did trial the idea of of sticking naked above the door, didn't they? Yeah, that was the Wakefield store. So that went from a kind of our traditional majestic logo to a to a pink logo to a blue naked logo, and I'm glad to say it's gone back to our to our majestic branding um, very very quickly. So yeah, I mean, and you can imagine the kind of the confusion that would also create for colleagues, and the range that was in that store got changed because it, it ranged naked wines and I'm not saying anything, you know, bad about naked wine products. It's, it's a different, it's a different proposition. Um, but it's not the wines that our consumers, uh, you know, buy in, buy my majestic stores because we've just got a breadth of, you know, parcels and, you know, some fantastic brands there and, and some, you know, brilliant winemakers producing wines for us. So we're a mix of everything, um, from, you know, champagnes to spirits, um, to stickers, so you know, that's kind of not what their business model is. You know, they are a subscription business, so the range kind of didn't hit the mark either. And you know, that that did impact Majestic quite significantly, I think, in kind of the latter years of the naked marriage. Rob Cook, who's our chief commercial officer and the, and the buying team here, did an incredible job in the first Christmas of 1920, which just before pandemic, got into the stores very quickly. Some of our some of our old favourites for our customers, and we had an absolute belter of a Christmas that year 
as we kind of re-engaged our customers and kind of demonstrated, you know, we, we have got the products that you like and you can come in and buy them. And the stores, you know, did an amazing job phoning all those customers that they used to have saying, look, we've got this one back in now. Do you want to come in for Christmas? And we had a, we had a great Christmas. And, and, you know, we've got that buzz back in the shops now as well, which is fab. I remember that moment, actually, because, uh, I mean, wine journalists uh, like me can be, you know, cantankerous bunch, actually. But uh, there was <laughs> no, a, a, no, 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 no. Yes, they can. Uh, but there was genuinely a, a kind of great sigh of relief, a kind of like, you know, that um, a bit like you're kind of walking out of the shower and the previous, you know, um, series happened. It was kind of, you know, everyone just got on with it and it felt like Majestic was was back and it, and it still does you know I did your uh, press tasting a couple of months ago it was great um you talked about Christmas trading there uh, I, I guess it's reasonably early days it's the uh well we're recording this on the 14th of December but uh it by the time it airs it'll be three days later but but uh, I mean what uh how's it shaping up so far this Christmas I mean it's um and we've we've had Every time I've been in the company, we've had record Christmas. So I'm fingers crossed for a fifth record Christmas. I think it's shaping up okay. I mean, we've done a great job in terms of stock. I think there are a lot of concerns just in the general wine sector around the availability of, um, of wine. Um, you know, there's been challenges, as we know, in kind of New Zealand and places like that. But the team have done a super job in securing, you know, plenty of stock. So we're, we're really well stocked. I think it's building and building, as it will do, always up until the, the very last minute. And, you know, I think... You know, unfortunately, the the virus is still a, having an impact on on people's confidence. But I'm glad to say, you know, we're we're doing well. It's building, it's growing. The store teams are really excited. Got some fabulous products in there for customers. Um, I was in stores yesterday, and you know, we have a lot of our very loyal customers. They they shop quite a few times. They come in and go, yeah, don't worry, I'll be back next week. I'll be back next week. So we've kind of got the I'll be back next week brigade in the shops at the moment, as they kind of. Uh, shopping around the stores which is which is really encouraging so i'm still expecting a, a really good uh, christmas for us i'm sure you're right i think a few people right now are not quite sure how many people they'll be entertaining but they're hoping for the best really um the pandemic uh, has been uh, hideous for lots of retailers um but would it be fair to say at majestic uh, taking away the the human cost which uh, you know, goes without saying is has been horrendous um but uh, would it say that uh, would it be fair to say that, that Majestic has been a kind of pandemic winner to an extent? I think if any business was allowed to kind of you know, continue trading, they were going to fare better than the others. I think that what is underestimated is the effort it actually took to keep a business um, running, you know, whether it was a supermarket or whether it was Majestic, because the cost of running a, a business under a pandemic is not the same as when it's not you know, things like personal protection equipment and plastic screens and, you know, stickers for the stores to socially distance. It costs hundreds and hundreds, if not millions of pounds to, to, to put in. You didn't really have a choice. So we, we were kind of just all guns blazing, I think, probably in the first year, just trying to stabilize the business, keep keep supply coming, you know, keep our colleagues safe. We were dark stored in the first part of the you know, the pandemic. So we didn't actually let customers in the stores at all. We were doing, everything was home delivery. So, you know, we pivoted very quickly to change our stores to, to kind of home delivery hubs. So whilst, yes, we, we, we kind of did well from a sales point of view, you know, would I, I wouldn't want to do it again. Let's put it that way. And I'm glad that, you know, we, we managed to get through it in reasonable shape. 
I think what's encouraging for us as a company is that, you know, we've been able to focus on our longer term strategy whilst we've been going through the pandemic. So, you know, we've opened five new stores, uh, we've rebranded a lot of shops and, you know, taken some of the old uh, pink logos and things down and we've changed all our systems infrastructure. Um, all of our systems were naked platform systems uh, up until um, early this year. So we, we actually had to overhaul and change our entire systems, our website, our order management, our tills to a new platform that wasn't naked proprietary. So we've been doing so many things behind the scenes that kind of put us in good shape for the next, I'd like to say, think 40 years. So strategically, you know, that gave the teams a lot of focus because we could say, look, yep, actually, you know, we do need to keep doing what we're doing for the customers. But equally, we're not out of the woods yet. We need to really focus on building really strong foundations for the longer term, which I'm pleased to say look like they're doing really well. Talking of foundations, uh, you're owned by Fortress, uh, which associated in the with Morrison's in the in the bidding war for Morrison's uh, recently. Uh, so it had a bit of profile because of that. Um, it's a, a private equity kind of group. Um, they don't always have the best reputation, but it seems to be working for you and uh, Majestic. Yeah, I mean, I've I mean, I've worked with private equity partners before. Um, you know, in my time in Holland, I worked with um, a mix of four different private equity owners at that time. You know, I'm fairly familiar with how they operate, and I think there's a couple of things just to really think about. Um, of course, there are have been historic examples where there's been bad stewardship, as you might call it. You know, lots of debt put into companies by private equity owners, and I guess I guess you could have seen it as a kind of a get rich quick program you know you look at things like Debenhams which was kind of one of those examples loads of debt loaded in and then obviously it's impossible for it to invest in its future growth and and, and develop outside of that could be the financial situation come of that could be market economics could be the management strategy you know, there's a whole load of different things there but I think on the whole in my experience of working with the best private equity partners are that they're they're very professional they you know they like to have a management team that's um got a very clear vision and strategy for the company and you know fortress are like that they're pretty hands-off individuals they're very smart individuals they've done nothing but support this company you know in uh, in the last few years and the amount of investment that we put in in new shops and systems and branding you know, there's millions of pounds worth of investment gone into this organization and you know not loads of debt um, which you kind of read about in in some private equity situations so i think Everyone's got an opinion on, on, on what good and bad is with private equity. But I think unless you've really worked with some of the best ones, which unfortunately I have done, you know, it's very hard to kind of comment on it. Um, usually they're very professional individuals. They must put a value when they look at the overall value of the business on the quality of the staff. Um, I don't run a business, so I don't know how you actually measure that, whether that comes as goodwill or, or what. But I mean, Majestic is renowned for the quality of its staff. Um, I referenced it in my introduction, uh, that, those early experiences where I kind of discovered wine at the uh, Shepherd's Bush uh, store. Um, I've often wondered if you have some kind of cloning facility where you kind of have little incubators with future managers in them or something, because there is something about um, a majestic team member generally that that's quite special. That's um, that's sort of, sort of quite similar in in a way. Um, how how is that achieved? But you're absolutely right. I mean, our business is nothing without the colleagues that we've got. I'm I'm very proud of everything that uh, they are and what they do. Um, they are unique. They're not typical, what I'd say, retail colleagues. You know, um, that you might find in a 
in a supermarket or a being yes yeah, nothing against what those individuals do but i think you've got to have a kind of a passion for for the product and you know we kind of hire like people if that makes sense so you know the area managers and the regional managers and keith who runs our stores who's worked in the company over 20 years um He's, he's, he's unbelievably Mr. Majestic is Keith. And, you know, we kind of visit lots of shops and go, yeah, they're really good. They're really good. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we promote those managers all the way through the organization, but like Keith is now the ops director and he started uh, in the vans. So I guess we're kind of, we attract the right uh, individuals, not all the time, you know, some join and it doesn't work out um, because we invest in their education from a WeSet perspective. You know, we're one of the largest trainers in the WeSet in, in the UK. You know, that's an investment in them. And then, you know, when they're in the stores, they get to taste and try as many wines as possible. We really encourage that so that they can help their education process and also, um, you know, share their experiences with customers when they come into the stores. And the best the best colleagues we have are those that have really thrown themselves into the product, the, the education, uh, you know, in the brand. And, you know, we've got a fabulous culture here in the organization, you know, that kind of breeds breeds itself. And it's generally, you know, as I said, I'm really proud to be able to, to lead them all. Uh, well, it sounds like it. And uh, I can uh, imagine that. Um, do you kind of um, turn up in branches like Dave Potts at Morrison's famously does and sort of, you know, uh, start sort of um, sniffing around. Um, uh, I think it was Sir Ken Morrison who famously went and looked in the bins, didn't he, to see what was being what was being thrown out. So are you that kind of hands-on retailer? Um, I mean, I am a hands-on retailer. I'm my first uh, my first foray in the business in 2015, I worked in the Oval Store because I was living down there then. And uh, I remember the toilets weren't quite as clean as they should be. And we were doing a wine tasting that night. So I got my marigolds on and gave it a quick scrub and just said to the guys, look, you know, if, if we've got customers coming and they want to use the uh, the facilities, we need to probably make sure they're, they're <laughs> adequate. But I don't mind rolling my sleep up, sleeves up and getting stuck in. I'm getting a bit older now, so I can't say I can throw pallets of wine around like like I used to be able to. But, you know, I've got a, I've got a great operations team. Uh, that kind of uh, get stuck into a lot of the detail. Um, and, you know, we visit a lot of stores over this quarter. You know, it's really, really busy. And I've been everywhere from Falmouth to Inverness in the last uh, in the last three weeks. And, it, and you know, the stores I visited are in, in fantastic shape. And that's a testament to the managers and caliber of the colleagues that we have. Um, and, you know, the proof point for me is, you know, if that was my shop, would I be happy with it? And, and you know, 99% of the time, yes. In the odd occasion, that maybe it's not quite up to the mark. You know, we, we usually help the teams and fix it. And sometimes it's not in their control. I mean, it could be that, you know, there's been a storm and there's, you know, some roof tiles missing or something like that. We don't expect the teams to do that. But we might just need to give a bit of help making sure the stores are looking as, as good as we, as we want them. And keep an eye on the lose is the uh, message. Just keep an eye on. I always, yeah. I, it's like anything, you know. You go into the, if you're in a restaurant, they might look very nice and shiny out the front, but if the kitchen's not in particularly good shape, you might not want to be eating there. So we always, you oh, know, nice. we have a bit. We we always look in in you know the, the warehouse at the back, the the office facilities, you know, because a good back of house means you know the front's you know going to going to be looking after itself, and um, you know a lot of that, you know, training that we give our colleagues is around those store standards you know store standards is one of the kpis that the operations team have with mystery shops and 
and a checklist of you know how the store's looking and we've got some really 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 old stores i mean they're old as you said old garages cinemas thatched cottages tram sheds you know these things are really old buildings but they can still look fabulous you know if you look after them like yeah. classic cars the mix six model um sometimes to me feels a little bit outmoded but then i've i've never run a retail operation in my life so um, this is the model obviously where there are two prices there's an individual bottle price and if you buy six it's uh, uh, quite a bit cheaper sometimes is that something that you're still wedded to i think i mean if you think about the history of the company i mean it was 12 you had to buy um and then i remember it changed um when i joined uh, the company in 15 it was under review to the current proposition which is you know, save ten percent or more when you buy six or more of any of any of any product, and that came about because I remember going into the store and I said, oh, "I'd like to buy a bottle of champagne, please." It's, I think it was eighty pounds, and they went, "Yeah, you need to buy five other things." And that doesn't make sense, really. I mean, eighty pounds is quite a big ticket, but you, you weren't allowed to do that. So, you know, I think we kind of had to modify and move with the times a little bit. So, I think it's a happy compromise because. You know, now you can buy a single bottle of something if you want. So if you do want to buy a bottle of champagne and just one bottle of wine or, you know, one spirit, you can do. And likewise, if you want to buy bulk and we, we you know, obviously we want customers to be buying in the cases because it's just better, better economics for us. Um, there's an incentive to do that. And that's why we stick with it. We've just relaunched the marketing of it because I'm not sure customers really truly understand how how it works across all of the products. We just did a piece of customer research on it. So we've just recommunicated the mechanics of it and you'll find that in our, you know, like in our, in our direct mails now about um, it's mixed on any six. So you can have any blend of uh, wine in a case and, and, and still save up more than 10%. So, you know, um, I actually got phoned up by somebody last week and said, does that actually, is that right? I went, yeah, you, you've saved this amount of money. That's exactly because we want you to, you know, join the majestic you know customer base we want you to enjoy the experience and you know for a new customer coming in it it, it is a nice incentive because you know you can get buy five bottles of wine and broadly speaking you're getting the six one for free so you know we're, we're still we'll, we'll always be reviewing it um, and looking at other other alternatives but i think it's part of our dna certainly for the moment you have a club now as well don't you kind of also picking up on that uh yeah, that desire to be kind of part of something, to have a sort of shared experience. Yeah, we've um, we it's a it's our subscription model. I mean, we, we've relaunched it as Wine Club, and it's a fantastic proposition. Um, we did have a what was called Wine Concierge, which we've kind of stopped and then restarted as the Wine Club, um, which is to help kind of those less experienced customers discover great wines. So it's you know a case of white or a case of red mixed, selected by our buying team and our master of wine. Um, again, they're parcels, so they come from you know some fabulous um, wineries across uh, across the world, um, and it's a learning experience. So there's a nice booklet in there. You have a, a QR code to have a video link to meet the producer, and there's some food matching ideas. And basically, what we're trying to do there is just educate those less experienced wine uh, wine consumers into the world of wine. Because a bit like myself, you know, I started in my twenties in Bushy, and now, you know. I, I buy a lot of wine and I'm really interested in discovering new new wines, but it's an education process. So we see the wine club, not just as a, you know, a, a subscription service that you can sign up to if you want a case of wine every quarter, but, you know, a learning journey. And every case has a different learning experience in it. And I'm pleased to say that it's going really well. And if you were to choose a case yourself, 
uh, for Christmas from your own stock. Here's the opportunity, you know, you're a retailer. So I remember uh, when I ran a BBC programme, Stuart Rhodes once turned up with an entire clothing rail of new M&S <laughs> lines because uh, yeah. retailers are retailers through and through. So here's your chance to kind of um, plug a few of your favourites. Have you got some uh, wines that are particularly uh, special to you that you'd put in your own kind of desert island case my desert island case that's a really good i don't i mean i'm gonna I mean, i'm gonna cop out i don't have a desert island case i was asked by somebody the other day john what are the wines that you buy all the time and i was um, i was actually at home and i was looking at my wine rack and probably people think i've probably got a wine cellar but i've just got a normal big wine rack in my kitchen like most normal folk and I've got so many fabulous products in there because when I go to the stores, I get the teams to just recommend me something. So I tend not to have cases of, of things that I buy in bulk. So this Christmas, I've got such a great selection uh, to, to choose from after kind of weeks and weeks of traipsing around the stores and being recommended bottles of wine. I think that, you know, I've got, a, I've got one that I've got saved up for Christmas Day, which is a Demoiselle Sancerre 2018, which is... Uh, something I really, really like. So that's going to be one of my Christmas Day favourites, uh, which is going to be on the table. So I've been holding back with that one. And there's a couple of parcel series that um, Rob and the team have brought into the business, which I'm really looking forward to try. I've not tried them yet. One's a parcel series, Saint Julien. And um, we've got a parcel series, Sauvignon Blanc, from a very, very, very well-known New Zealand Sauvignon producer. What might be one of your favourites. Uh, <laughs> and... Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> And that is absolutely fabulous. Um, and, you know, we just have this ability to kind of work with producers that, that do things for us that they can't do for anybody else. And I just love the discovery. So, you know, and also this year has been really challenging for the buying team because of the kind of the challenges on supply chain. You know, sourcing, you know, bulk wines has been, has been quite hard. So actually this year you're going to find even more amazing new discoveries in the stores um so i'm looking forward to kind of work my way through my wine rack my father lives in italy so he's coming over this christmas so i'm sure he's going to help me out with some of the some of my uh, expensive wines that i've been collecting i'm sure he is yeah so here's the uh, here's the tip for um anyone in a store make sure the loos are clean before you visit and uh, <laughs> give you some suggestions for a desert island majestic case uh to oh. uh, to take away with you yeah that that's yeah uh, my... that's what i do my best day isn't necessarily visiting the toilets in the stores, but my best days are absolutely visiting the shops, usually with Keith, uh, my ops director, and just listening to the, my team, you know, recommending um, the wines that we sell and finding and, you know, listening to their favorites. And the thing about the guys in the shops is, you know, they really, really do know the best quality value combinations. They really do understand that, you know, of course you can spend you know, 100, 300 pounds on a bottle of wine if you want to. Uh, but these guys really understand the best quality value combinations in our stores, which is always asked them, you know, what, what are you going to be drinking and what have you got? Okay, I'll take two of those. It's just the best recommend. And even for customers, I always recommend them to do that. Just do that. Just go to your local store, ask the team, you know, what are you going to be drinking? Anything special? What do you, you know, for this, you know, what would you buy? And you won't be disappointed, you know, at all. It's pretty Guaranteed. much how many of us... Uh, as enthusiasts and uh, people working in the trade, it's probably how many of us started, actually. So, yep, good idea. Uh, John, uh, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man, so I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to talk to us uh, on the drinking hour. Absolute pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it. And hope you all have a, a great Christmas. Keep safe. And you too. Thank you. 
The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, it's time for some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame, as ever. And after our interview with John there, we thought it might be nice to dedicate this particular selection to those that you can easily find in your local Majestic. First up, a wine that I first tasted this time last year, and uh, I loved it. Petaluma Chardonnay 2019 won a prestigious gold medal at the IWSC. Uh, Petaluma and its winemaker, Mike Mudge, are about uh, the right grape in the right place. That's their kind of mantra. And this is just peachy perfect, so it must be in the right place. Awarding their golden gong, the judges said, a creamy nose showing pineapple and clean citrus notes with a nutty character. The palate is complex with bags of personality showing some orange peel, citrus fruit and exotic fruit. Crisp acidity with a refreshing long finish. And I think that's one that will age really well as well. Uh, next up, a classy cab that won a silver medal. Wakefield Jarriman at Cabernet Sauvignon 2019. The judges this round juicy palate with mellow blueberry fruit soft cedar and a lovely creamy texture focused fresh and exciting with great depth of flavor and complexity i wasn't on the panel for this but i have tasted the wine and i would absolutely echo that uh, a really worthy uh, silver medal winner if you haven't heard me banging on about winter rosé before, then uh, listen up now. It's not just a wine for summer. It's great for kind of festive parties in place of a, a sparkler. I can think of few things I'd rather have uh, thrust into my hand on a, a winter's night. And it's also a fantastic food pairing wine as well. I love it with smoked salmon as part of a Christmas feast. Domaine La Chotard. 2020 from the Coteau Valois in Provence was a silver medal winner. It's made by Gassier, a long established family producer, and the judges described a gorgeously delicate floral nose. Mouthwatering flavours of grapefruit peel and crisp red berries invigorate the palate. Has a clean depth with a surprisingly long and delectable finish. Like almost every Provence rosé, this is a blend. Uh, in this case, it's Carignan, Sanso, Syrah and Grenache, and also a white grape, uh, Roll, which is also known uh, for its uh, Italian name, Vermentino. Uh, finally, uh, to New Zealand and Marlborough, but not a Sauvignon Blanc, as you might be expecting. Rather, it's a Chardonnay. Though we don't see that much Kiwi Chardonnay in the UK market, we really should because it's uh, just so exciting. One of the most exciting grapes, I think, to come uh, from New Zealand to these shores. Our Terry River Chardonnay 2018 was a bronze medal winner in the 2021 judging, with the panel describing a wine that is subtly nutty with generous peach notes appearing on a rich palate supported by creamy oak. It's kind of Burgundian in style, uh, but it's just £10 on a mix six, so quite a, a bit cheaper than your typical Burgundy. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. 
And that's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. Next week, we'll have our Christmas special. So do tune in for that. I'll be joined by Drinking Hour regulars, Freddie Bulmer of the Wine Society and Joel Harrison, a spirits columnist at Club Enologique. And we'll be in festive spirits. So do join us for Party Hats, uh, Drinks, The Works. Uh, join us then. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. <laughs>